I've uh, mentioned a few times. Um, but before we get started, let's go to the Word of God. There are a number of passages in the New Testament that appear to deal with um, some of this early heresy known as Gnosticism. And Colossians 2 is one of those passages. So I'm just going to read Colossians 2 as we get started and focus on God's Word here this morning. Colossians chapter 2 says, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in, in the spirit, join and beholding your order in the steadfastness of your faith in Christ, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in the putting off the body of, of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them, in it. Amen. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of the unholy uh, day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath seen vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands have nourished, have nourishment ministered and knit together increaseth with the increase of God. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are ye subject to ordinances, not touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in, in will, worship, and humility, and neglecting of the body, 
not in any honor to satisfying the flesh. So, <clears throat> Gnosticism is one of those heresies of the Old Testament that uh, still lingers today, really. When you look at it, you see a number of the heresies that came out of Gnosticism in various cults, such as Jehovah's Witness and Mormons. You see some of the teaching lingering today. Um, let's see, but before, I just wanted to go back, do a quick reminder of why I'm doing this lesson in church history and some of the reasons here. Um, scripture reminds us to remember the past, remember those um, who, who taught truth and to follow after the truth that we have seen in past times. Um, we were able to see the hand of God working and be encouraged. It's, uh, it's so neat to see God's hand in history. And that encourages us to know that God is working today in history and can be working in our lives as well. Um, it can serve as a warning, and that's really where I'm going to focus today is this warning to not let some of these heresies that pop up uh, distract us from the truth. Um, it gives us hope. It, um, it equips us to defend the faith, and that, again, is part of um, one of the main reasons I am doing this is that we are equipped to defend the true gospel and the true teachings of Christ. But we must do it in humility. Um, when you look at, I'll talk a little bit more. Um, sometimes in the context of history, you have these big heresies that come up or, or ideas, and you'll see a man of God adamantly defending the truth but because that's such a big deal in the particular time in which he lives, he forgets about some other things. And so you'll see, well, he kind of went off the rails over here. But part of it is just the context of when they lived and the things that were going on. So we need to be careful in our own context. You know, we, we have all kinds of heresies and crazy things going on in our world to make sure that we, we stay balanced. And we don't get so focused on one particular um, thing going on in the world that we forget about other important things. So we, we want to stay balanced because you see that happen often throughout history. So again, the reasoning why, why we're doing this. So a little bit of the background of Gnosticism. It really became a significant um, teaching around the years of 130 to 160 AD. This was the period of time Justin Martyr lived um, and was teaching. And they claimed to be the true Christians. Okay, so they were saying these other people teaching, they're not really Christians, but we as Gnostics are the true Christians. Um, and you know, you see that in cults today, right? You'll see them claiming that we're the true way, right? And forget about all these other churches, we're the true way. And so you have to be very careful when one denomination or particular sect starts um, saying, if you don't follow us to the T, then you're not a true Christian. You have to be careful. Um, like I mentioned, you see some of the uh, teaching in the New Testament, specifically there in Colossians, and also 1 John appear to be writing against some of the, uh, the Gnostic heresies. Um, it arose out of an earlier heresy called docetism. Um, but actually, before I, I get to that, I wanted to uh, um, define a little bit of this. It, 
in the early church, it used to be all we really knew about the Gnostics came from early church writers, Irenaeus and Ignatius and some of these guys. Um, but then in, uh, it was 1945 that a discovery was made. It's called the Nag Hammani Library. Some archaeologists were digging up and actually found a bunch of these writings of the Gnostics. And so, of course, what do unbelievers do? They say, guess what? We just found the lost books of the Bible. <laughs> well, they weren't lost books of the Bible. They were known about. They just weren't, hadn't discovered full copies of them. And um, it's really neat. If you've uh, been here for Aaron's Sunday school messages, they go really well with what he's been doing, going through the Gospels and setting the stage of the Gospels. You know, that is the precursor to the early church, right? The Gospel that was given in time and history. Um, and the early church came out of that, that period. And it really flows very well. He mentioned, I believe it was the Gospel of James he was required to read. It's one of those Gnostic Gospels. These things are weird, if you ever have a chance, you can go look them up online, and they're really weird. And there's a, there's a clear difference and distinction between real scripture and some of these other writings. I believe it was maybe the, the Westminster Confession. I forget exactly, but um, some of the reformers, when they talked about knowing the word of God is the true word of God, one of their, the ways that they described it is they said, there is a heavenliness about the word of God. And, and people can blow them off, say, well, I, but there really is. When you read the Bible and you compare it to other writings, ancient writings, there's a very clear difference. And there, there's something about the word of God. There's a heavenliness. I think it's what scripture says, Hebrews 4, that the word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. When you read the Bible, there's something different about it. And it is because it was inspired by the Holy Spirit, Right. And you can see a real difference when you read um, some of these early writings, especially from the Gnostics. Uh, there tends to be no coherent theme. It's just kind of throwing out different phrases and weird things. And I'll read a little bit from one that is uh, quite crazy in a little bit. Um, but there were a number of these early Gnostics. Um, I'll just read off a list of some of these guys. Um, the Barbellonites, the Cainites, the Serenthians, the Encratites, the Justinians, the Marcionites. And we're going to specifically look at the Marcionites. Marcion was everybody's favorite Gnostic to, to criticize in the early church. Um, he was bad, and a lot of the early church fathers wrote against him. Um, the the Nicolaitans, where have you heard of them? Revelation, exactly. In that one of the churches in Revelation 2, actually look at it real quick. Revelation chapter 2. You can find it here. You remember when he is addressing all the different churches, a church in Smyrna, a church in Philippi. And uh, in verse 6, he says, But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans. So he's, in, he's um, this was what the church at Ephesus, he said, this is a good thing because you hate that church. Well, those, those were um, Gnostics. And then he um, criticizes another church later saying, because you've fallen into their, um, this heresy. Um, 
So again, there, there were a number of these teachers, and that's just a list of some of them. Uh, Sethians, Servians, and Valentinians. Valentinius was another one that was fairly popular. Um, so they, they claimed that they possessed a special knowledge. That's where we get the word gnosis. Gnosis is the Greek word for knowledge. Uh, uh, the special knowledge of spiritual truth, which was not available to the ordinary Christian. Jesus, they claimed, had privately taught this secret knowledge to his apostles, and it had been passed on and handed down to the Gnostics. They said it was impossible to understand the gospel correctly without this secret knowledge. Whenever you hear somebody say that, you know they're a false teacher, right? If only they had this special secret knowledge, you know something's not right with them. Um, because the gospel is simple, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth him will not perish, but have everlasting life. I mean, the gospel is very clearly articulated. It's very simple. Jesus was not trying to, to veil the gospel and give it to specific people. I mean, he very clearly tells us, go out and make disciples of all nations. The gospel is very simple, that we turn from sin and put our faith in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. I mean, that, that's the gospel. It's not some secret, hidden, mysterious code that we have to figure out. But that's what the Gnostic things, and there are other cults today that teach similar things. Okay, so they taught, let's see, they had their own um, writings, uh, such as the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of James, the Epistle of Barnabas, the Infancy Gospel of Thomas is one I think I'm going to read here in a minute. Um, but Gnosticism was based, as I mentioned here, on this early... Uh, an earlier heresy called Docetism. Docetism came from Asia Minor. According to Docetism, Jesus Christ was not a true human being. He wasn't really human. Christ only seemed to be a man. In fact, he was a purely heavenly being who could not have had any real contact with the inferior world of flesh. Therefore, he did not physically suffer or die and did not physically rise again. So this is what they taught. Because they taught this idea that the physical was all evil. There was nothing good about the physical. It's all evil. Only the spiritual is good. But just as we read in Colossians, if you deny that Jesus came in the flesh, you're denying the truth, right? Jesus did come in the flesh. He was a real bodily man. Um, Interestingly enough, some of the early church fathers thought that Gnosticism came from Simon the Magician in Acts chapter 8. You remember Simon the Magician who tries to give uh, Peter money to be able to lay hands on people and heal them? And uh, Peter said, let your money perish with you. you remember, um, so some of the early church fathers wrote that that's where they thought it came from. Whether it did or not, we really don't know, but apparently some of the early church fathers thought that. Um, but comparing this, this idea of the flesh being completely evil and um, only the spirit is good, let's look at a few passages. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, it says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. 
Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ came in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Wherefore you have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. So here, Paul, I mean, uh, John specifically saying, look, if somebody claimed Jesus Christ didn't come in the flesh, they're not of God. So he's refuting this early docetism and then leading into Gnosticism. Second uh, John verse 7 says, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. And then 1 Timothy chapter 3, 16 says, <clears throat> And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up to glory. And another passage, Philippians 1, verse, uh, let's see, 20 to 26, it says, According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. So I'm, I'm going to this verse because some of the, the, th the wrong things they would be teaching was, um, they went so far as to say, look, and there are two extremes. Some was you totally deprive your body because the body is all bad. So we completely deprive it, uh, becomes turned into asceticism when it harmed themselves. Um, but the other was, since the spirit is completely separated from the body, we can just go do whatever we want. And we can live however we want because the body's all bad anyway. We can just go do whatever. So there's kind of two extremes that were, were taught there. But that's not what scripture teaches. So Paul here, he's saying that Christ shall be magnified in my body. We are to have self-control. It's the fruit of the spirit, right? That we control our body. He says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I want not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, I abide in the flesh. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. For having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy and faith. So he's saying, I mean, I'm using my body living here and now to serve the body of Christ, right? Um, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Christ Jesus, in Jesus Christ, for me by my coming to you again. And then 1 Thessalonians 5.23, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, the last passage here, 1 Corinthians 6.20, For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I was thinking of the passage that we, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? So, again, this false teaching that the body is all bad. Well, yes, we do um, 
you know, the flesh is what causes us to stumble, right? It's one of the means, the world, the flesh, and the devil causes us to stumble. But being filled with the Spirit, we have the ability to turn away from temptation, right? We turn from evil and we control our body through the Spirit with self-control. And so it's not that it's completely corrupt and evil. Um, and also, Jesus Christ did come in the flesh. All right, so... Uh, moving on. Let's see, where am I at? Okay, some, this is that list I had. Okay. Um, real quick. So, let me just read to you. Um, let's see here. This is, this is a passage from the Infancy Gospel of Thomas. And um, it's writing about Jesus as a little boy. Okay, filling in those gaps that the Bible didn't. <laughs> but see if you think this, this jives with the real gospel. It says, After that again, he went through a village, and a child ran and dashed against his shoulder. Now, this is Jesus when he's about five years old. So another little boy dashed against his shoulder. And Jesus was provoked and said unto him, Thou shalt, thou shalt not finish thy course. And immediately he fell down and died. But certain, when they saw what was done, said, Whence was this young child born? For that every word of his is, is an accomplished work. And the parents of him that was dead came unto Joseph and blamed him, saying, Thou that hast such a child canst not dwell with us in the village." Or do thou teach him to bless and not curse? For he slayeth our children. So apparently, according to them, Jesus was going around killing people as a little boy. <laughs> I mean, that obviously is, is totally against Christ and what Christ did. I mean, you remember, was it John said, Jesus, shall we call down fire on these people? And Jesus said, no, Jesus came to bless and not, and not curse. He didn't come to kill people and strike them down. And he was not doing that. Very interesting thing, though, if you've ever studied Islam and the Quran, the Quran appears to actually quote some of these Gnostic Gospels. Um, there's a story of Jesus where, I forget, he like picks up some mud and molds it and it turns into a bird and flies away, something like that. And the Quran actually quotes that, um, which it, it, it kind of makes sense. If you, if you studied that, Muhammad, which the Quran was written, was it 7th century, somewhere in there? Um, Apparently, he'd had some association with some Jews, and maybe, and probably, um, he claimed to associate with some Christians. Well, they were probably Gnostics, and he apparently had read some of their writings, and so some of that stuff crept into the Quran, which is very interesting. If you ever have a chance to uh, minister to a Muslim, um, that's something you can bring up, is these Gnostic Gospels were never accepted by the real church, and apparently Muhammad thought they were. So, interesting Note there. Let's see. So, um, back to uh, other things they taught. So, the material world had um, not been created by the supreme being. This is what they taught. But by an inferior and foolish being called a demiurge. Um, it's a Greek, comes from a Greek word for architect. They identified the demiurge with 
the God of the Old Testament, and therefore regarded the Old Testament as evil and unspiritual. So this is what the Gnostics were teaching. But you think about that. Have you ever heard somebody say, you know, I can't just accept that God of the Old Testament. He was so cruel and he destroyed all these people. I, I love the Jesus of the New Testament because he's so loving. My sweet little baby Jesus, right? So loving. You know, I was just thinking about that. Let me just read a couple passages from the Old Testament and then from the New Testament. Let's see. How about Psalm 103? Bless the Lord of my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord of my soul and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfy thy mouth with good things, so thy youth, that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as removed our transgressions from us. As a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth him that fear him. That is our loving and gracious father, of the Old Testament. Let's see. I'm going to flip over now to the New Testament. Revelation 19. In, let's see, start in verse 15 here. This is Jesus. Let's see where I'm at. Verse 15, Revelation 19. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and of the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshiped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. That is our sweet little baby Jesus right there, who one day will judge the earth and all the wicked will be cast into hell. You know what? God is a God of love, and he is a God of justice. And you see that all throughout Scripture. You cannot throw out the Old Testament. So much of the New Testament is rooted in the Old Testament. Many, many Scriptures are quotations of the Old Testament. 
So this heresy that Gnostics taught, you see it today. People just saying that, that, you know, I can't, I can't get into that God of the Old Testament. He was so cruel. Well, <clears throat> wait until the Lord returns. <laughs> if you think that was cruel, um, Jesus will come with a sword coming out of his mouth and destroy the wicked in hell. But guess what? To those who love him and those who called according to his name, we will rejoice for eternity. Dick, did you have a... and Elisha and how compassionate God is. Mm -hmm. You learn about the compassion of God and, and how he restored people. And, yeah. and so, you know, maybe they're looking at just one aspect of God, but if you really right. look at the overall, he's very compassionate, merciful. Anyway. Absolutely. Yeah, Dick was just saying how throughout the book of Kings and Elijah, how God demonstrates his compassion even in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament. But God, God does judge the wicked. And we, we see that through the Old Testament, and we will see that. But praise the Lord, we have his love and mercy upon us, those who have trusted in him. Okay, so, all right, so this, this supreme God and the, physical, and the physical universe were completely alien to each other. So again, this is a, this false teaching where everything physical is bad and only the spiritual is good, and this is what they taught. The human body was part of this evil material world. Salvation meant escaping the body and from the world of space and time in which the body holds us prisoner. There was no place for a physical resurrection. So they denied the resurrection of Christ that he raised physically. And that's what these passages I've read in Colossians and 1 John, he's specifically refuting that idea that, that Jesus did. He did, was raised physically. Um, it's a, and you know, think about what uh, actually Aaron was, was teaching in John last week. And he pointed out that Thomas, you remember when he says, I'm not going to believe until I, I see those, those scars in your hands and your side. And what did he do when he did? He fell down and worshiped and he said, my Lord and my God. Then he believed that Jesus had been raised physically. And it says, the only thing of any value was the soul, which was, this sounds really new ages, which was a, a divine spark from the spiritual world trapped inside the body by the wicked Demiurge. Again, this Demiurge was this lower God that was created, that created the world and it was all evil. So somewhere in there was this divine spark. Yeah, whatever. It says they, they taught that Christ was not God in person but one of an exalted rank of spiritual beings called eons. Christ was the greatest of these beings. Since physical matter was evil, Christ the Redeemer could have um, had, no, had, had no contact with it. Some Gnostics taught that the Christ descended on the man Jesus at his baptism, baptism possessed him, spoke through him and left him at his crucifixion. Others taught that Jesus was not, hum not a human being at all, a purely spiritual being that just appeared to be physical. Uh, the Mormons teach that Jesus was not God, that he was the brother of Michael the archangel or something like that. Um, and then, of course, the Jehovah's Witness also deny. They have their own scripture called the New World Translation that they uh, twist, especially First John, if y'all ever said that, they first 
Um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. They changed that so it doesn't say was God anymore because they deny that Jesus Christ was God. Um, so similar teaching is rooted in some of this, these old heresies. Let's see. Um, they believed that humanity's greatest problem was not sin. The problem was our ignorance of our true spiritual nature and destiny. Doesn't that sound like secularism? You heard this? I, I, I remember when a few years ago, or probably after 9-11, and all the, the Islamic jihad stuff was happening. And a lot of people excusing that would say, you know what, they, they just don't have education. They're just ignorant. And so they go do these crazy things. You know what, a lot of those guys actually are very educated. And they're just following their own book, actually. <laughs> they're, they're not ignorant. They're actually, um, they're following what they've been taught. And ignorance is not um, the problem. You can be a very ignorant in terms of just don't have a lot of knowledge, but you can possess the truth of the gospel. And guess what? You can be a, a beneficial Christian serving the body of Christ. You don't have to be a brilliant scholar or anything. Um, some of the greatest, what does scripture say? Some of the God has chosen those who, the lowly in the world, to be great in faith. God uses people from all walks of life. And often the poorest of us are often people of great faith and of great service to the kingdom of God. So ignorance is not an excuse. It is sin. We, the heart is desperately wicked above all things. Please don't listen to people that say, follow your heart. <laughs> Scripture says the heart is desperately wicked above all things. We have sin, and only by God changing our heart, by turning to him through faith, can we be used of him for his glory. Um, and if sin is not the problem, then why did Christ come, right? Christ came that we may be forgiven of our sins. And... Uh, Christ came and took the penalty for our sins when he died on the cross for us. So anyone who denies that we have a problem with sin is denying the purpose Christ came for, and that was to save us from our sins, right? Let's see. Oh, okay. If I have time, I might get to Polycarp, but... Uh, um, so uh, one of the... Uh, I mentioned Marcion. Marcion was this guy that he was a leader among the Gnostics, and he, um, he wrote some crazy things. I'll just read a little bit about him. Um, Marcion, he wrote a book called uh, Antithesis, Antithesis, in which he set out the contradictions between Old and New Testaments as he interpreted them. In order to prove that the God of Judaism was not the heavenly father of Christ, Marcion also produced his own version of the New Testament. He threw out everything that had a Jewish element, accepting only Luke's gospel and most of Paul's letters. According to Marcion, uh, Paul was the only apostle who really understood Jesus. However, Marcion had to remove, even from Luke and Paul, all favorable references to Judaism, which meant he actually cut out quite a bit of, of the New Testament. He had a very limited New Testament because anything he didn't agree with, he, he took it out. 
Marcion became the supreme heretic in the eyes of the early church. Um, and in some ways, this actually was unfortunate um, because, like I mentioned earlier, when, this is, when you're fighting against one particular battle, you tend to become one-sided against that battle. And you see that in a lot of, you see that in Augustine. Maybe when we get to Augustine, we'll talk about some of that. Um, because the, the early church may have overreacted to some of the true elements in his teaching, such as his emphasis on grace and faith. Um, Marcionism lasted until about the sixth century. And um, when you look at, I mentioned the Council of Nicaea, where... Um, it was, uh, they established, they, they wrote in their canons, Jesus truly was um, divine rather than human. Um, a lot of this came out of some of these early heresies. But <clears throat> um, one of the uh, teachers who, Irenaeus of Lyons, is one of my favorite um, guys, and I'll do a full lesson on him. I need to find where I, where I wrote this. Um, Irenaeus is one of my favorites because he very clearly speaks to the deity of Christ. He very clearly refutes um, the, the heretics of his time. He wrote a book called Against Heresy, and he was specifically writing against Marcion. Uh, hang on. forgot to mark this. Um, let's see, Irenaeus, he said, neither Valentinus Tinius, nor Marcion, nor Saturnius, nor um, Basilides, nor angels, nor archangels, nor principalities, nor powers have this knowledge. So again, refuting this idea that they had a special knowledge. He's saying none of these guys have this special knowledge. And then uh, he wrote... Um, Irenaeus wrote, he said, he was scorned by the people and humbled himself to the point of death. On the other hand, he is the holy Lord, the wonderful counselor, the beautiful in appearance, the mighty God coming on the clouds as judge of all humanity. All these things the scriptures have prophetically spoken of Christ. So again, here specifically calling him the mighty God. So again, these uh, teachings of um, the early church fathers very clearly refuted the idea of Gnosticism. And so as we start to move forward and look at some of these different individuals, such as Irenaeus, which that's my next step is to start looking at various individuals, um, we'll, we'll see this come up. We'll see this idea of Gnosticism come up quite frequently because that was the major heresy they were dealing with. So the last few minutes, though, I want to talk about one of my favorite guys, in history, and that's Polycarp. Anybody else studied truly? I've heard of Polycarp. Maybe you've studied a little bit about him. Um, incredible man of God. And um, I have a copy of my Fox's Book of Martyrs. This is an abridged version. Um, if, if you have children, read your children the Fox's Book of Martyrs. Um, incredible, beautiful stories, um, sad stories, because it is all about people being martyred, but it, it strengthens your faith and I believe it prepares you. We may experience persecution. We may experience persecution in our lifetime that uh, we've never known. Um, but if you have equipped yourself to recognize um, 
by studying these men of the past that, that stood against it, you know, we can, we can stand through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, so I want to read a bit on Polycarp. I hope I didn't lose my place. I think I marked it in the wrong spot, unfortunately. Oh, here we go. Um, but uh, real quick, so he was the Bishop of Smyrna. He was a disciple of the Apostle John. And by the way, Irenaeus, who I've mentioned, was Polycarp's disciple. Um, he confronted the Gnostic Marcion in a letter to the Philippians, uh, provides insight of what the early church, um, and he was a very well-known martyr of the early church. Uh, that letter is um, full of scripture, very full of scripture. He's just um, refuting heresies by quoting scripture. Now, let me just read this. I think it's a, it's a beautiful story. <clears throat> After a respite, the Christians gain, again came under persecution, this time from Marcus Aurelius in AD 161. One of those who suffered this time was Polycarp, the venerable bishop of Smyrna. And you remember Smyrna was one of the churches um, that uh, Revelations addresses. <laughs> Three days before he was captured, Polycarp dreamed that a pillow under his head caught fire. And when he awoke, he told those around him that he would burn alive for Christ's sake. Hearing, hearing his captors had arrived one evening, Polycarp left his bed to welcome them, ordered a meal prepared for them, and then asked for an hour alone to pray. The soldiers were so impressed by Polycarp's advanced age and, and composure that they began to wonder why they had been sent to take him. <laughs> They've come to take him and put him to death. And he's like, here, let me fix you dinner. And by the way, can I go pray for a little bit? <laughs> it's incredible. But as soon as, as he had finished his prayers, they put him on a donkey and brought him to the city. As he entered the stadium with his guards, a voice from heaven was heard to say, be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. No one nearby saw anyone speaking, but many people heard the voice. Heard the voice. Brought before the tribunal and the crowd, Polycarp refused to deny Christ. Although the proconsul begged him, consider yourself and have pity on your great age. Reproach Christ and I will release you. Polycarp replied, 86 years I have served him and he never once wronged me. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Hallelujah. Threatened with wild beast and fire, Polycarp stood his ground. What are you waiting for? Do whatever you please. The crowd demanded Polycarp's death. Gathering wood for the fire and preparing to tie him to the, to the stake. Leave me, he said. He who will give me strength to sustain the fire will help me not to flinch from the pile. So they bound him, but did not nail him to the stake. As soon as Polycarp finished his prayer, the fire was lit, but it leaped up around him, leaving him unburned until the people convinced a soldier to purge a sword into him. When he did, so much blood gushed out that the fire was immediately extinguished. <laughs> the soldiers then placed his body onto the fire and burned it to ashes. 
which some Christians later gathered up, later gathered up and buried properly. It was this same persecution, the Christians of Lyons and Vienna, two cities in France also suffered, including um, Sanctus of Vienna, Matarus, Attalus, and Pergamos, and the women Blandina, all of whom endured extreme torture and death with fortitude and grace. But you know what? Many Christians were saved. They saw his faithfulness. And I mean, that's just incredible. Incredible to think of what was done, yet their boldness in Christ. Because guess what? He immediately went into glory and all his pain and suffering was relieved. So um, anyway, I hope this is helpful. <clears throat> and I hope I have a little voice left. But uh, let's uh, ask the Lord to, uh, to bless our day. Heavenly Father, I thank you um, for your many blessings. I thank you for your goodness, for the truth of your word, Lord, and how it contradicts error. error. And Lord, I pray, God, that we would recognize truth. And if even a hint of false teaching comes across us, we would know your word so well that we would recognize that. God, may you be glorified by this day. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your mercy upon us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.